I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey for the low, low price of $8.99. If you prefer less risk, we also offer a supervised journey with airbags, safety harnesses, and an on-staff paramedic for $13.99. $14.99 gets you the same package with your choice, vegetarian or gluten-free menu options. For $17.99, we'll tell your family you drowned, arrange a fake funeral, and provide contacts for establishing a new identity in Costa Rica. Reservations are limited. Call today. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. I am being joined today by, finally, finally, Aden Arden. How are you, my man? This is Lucy. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm on vacation. How's, uh, do anything fun for vacation so far? Well, I'm only a day in. I, I, I went to a castle with a few friends yesterday. Other than that, yeah. Give me, give me, give me till tomorrow. <laughs> I gotta ask you, because, I, I mean, my first castle experience um well i'm gonna ask you first what is this your first castle or have you been to many before it sounds like a sexual question i'm not gonna lie (laughs) i'm Uh, leading into uh sex uh well i've been to hearst castle this castle was it was romans and it was it's called bannerman's castle and it was it was it exploded pretty much and now the state owns it so it's it's not much to look at it's actually kind of sad so that's what I was going to ask as a follow-up is, is was the impression or the expectation worth uh, or the same as, as your experience when you hit it? Uh, well, I knew what I was in for, but I don't regret digging the ferry to the island and walking around. Uh, yeah. So it's just an interesting part of uh, northern New York history. A big castle. The guy, what was it? This guy was a weapons dealer. Uh, turn of the century, and he loved castles. So he, instead of building where big square boxes to store all the gunpowder and all the whatever else, he built these big beautiful castles to store uh, weapons and gunpowder and helmets and all that stuff in. Then he built a house on the other side of the island, or not the other side, a little bit away from the castles where him and his family lived. And on the side of the castle, it said Bannermans. Because the train went by and boats would go by, which is awesome advertising. You know, look, I'm doing so good. I put my shit in four castles, <laughs> and it, it really was. It was really neat. So, that's cool. I've I've always been nothing but disappointed. I don't know what I expect, but like when I was in Germany, we we just ran into a castle almost every fucking weekend, and it was just like I mean castles and churches. I would say. Um, I always expect something grander than it actually is. And I don't know if it's just, you know, childhood fantasy, imagining it being this monstrosity and maybe it's expecting some of the history to somehow come through the ages and and impart its, you know, impact on on your viewing of said location. But it's just never as stunning as I want it to be. 
Well, most of the castles that you would probably run into were forts. That's it. If you want, yeah. cast, if you want castles that remind you something of you know Snow White, those are harder to find. They're there, but right. they're, they're not as common as the medieval castle, which, like I said, is it's nothing more than a stone fort. Mm. You know, they're, they're not very interesting. They're they're nice just because of the magic of it, but yeah. Yeah, and but it—I mean, no matter what, it's always fun. You know, it's—it's it's always nice, in my opinion, to to walk on ground that has significant history to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so places like that, there's always something very interesting. You know, so that's that's always cool. Well, that's a good—I would say that's a pretty damn good start to your vacation. I think so. And then <laughs> partied all night until I passed out. <laughs> so you know, that was fun. Hell yeah. 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 I I don't know how these people keep doing this. Jesus. (laughs) Uh, And then I'm going to Maine at the end of the week. Maine? Yeah. I've never been there. Me neither. Darren has a show out there. He's like, dude, you're on vacation. Come with me. I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go. Hell yeah. Yeah. We're going to stop it. We're going to stop in a few states, see some some people on our way. We're going to make a big... Man, that sounds pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, I haven't taken a road trip in years, so five years. Yeah, so it's gonna be cool. it's gonna be a good time. Uh, and you know why I like castles though? Why? Because I like to turn to a man and say, "Can I castle your king?" <laughs> Unbelievably corny, but it works. <laughs> it works. But it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, we've been remiss here. It is August 24th, and we do have a really good show for you this week. Uh, in The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be talking about the idea of questioning all things in the Infernal Informant, Northern California Shakes by a 6.0 magnitude earthquake, and Thousands March with Al Sharpton to protest police chokehold death. And we're going to close this thing out. Of course, we've got a den or den in the house with a militant eroticism, episode 15. What's this one called? You're lying. That's what it's called. I'm not doing this shit. <laughs> it's called the Bromantics. Well, so that's like a 1960 singing group, right? Sure, why not? <laughs> the Bromantics? Like, yeah. Totally it, sounds like it. Sounds like one. The Bromantics. That's it. Adam, you and I are going to start a band. We got to go talk to Motown. Get this shit started right. Yeah, but you have to wear the bell bottoms and I'll have the fro. Done and done. <laughs> I'm <Okay>. game. <laughs> awesome. And because I have far more chest hair than you, I, I can shave my pubes in my ass and like super glue it to your chest. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah, I'm I'm a really hairless person, like almost all around. It's amazing that I can even pull off a stash and go to you. I mean it's That is amazing. I hate you for that. <laughs> I have hair growing all over my, which is really weird. I never knew there was a niche for guys like me. You know, skinny, blonde, but full chest hair, hairy legs, hairy arms. I'm just a hairy guy. And, uh, man, guys love that shit. Really? Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is, uh, this is kind of <laughs> weird. But. That's, that's cool. But I'm more than happy to donate it to your tits. All right, well, 
We're gonna have to do what we have. To, gonna have to do. I mean, I I got some uh, I got some pubes I could be shaving too. And and no, you need all the hair you can get. Putting up. Oh man! All right. Well, we we do have a, a lot to cover here, but there are a couple other things I want to touch on before we start. So I've already received some questions for uh, the scholar we're going to be having on, which Zaftig, and we've been talking, battering around this idea of. Uh, turning it into a segment. So I've already gotten a lot of questions from you listeners. Thank you very much for that. Um, And don't stop. I mean, if you have questions, please keep sending them in. But we're going to end up breaking it up into, I don't know if it's going to be a a two-off or a three-off or a regular timed segment, but which Zaftig is willing and you guys keep having questions. And so I guess we'll probably address one or two per segment and we'll just go as long as you guys have questions. So uh, if you have any other questions uh, that you haven't sent in already about the occult or uh, Satanism through the ages or um, religion or anything like that, uh, shoot them off to info at 9centspodcast.com and which Zaftig will address them in time. So look for that probably sometime uh, early, mid next month. Um, and that's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Anything I can do to <laughs> stop bugging you guys every episode. I'll try to take a back seat if I can. Um, and then, of uh, course, uh, I just... Re- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I laughed. Back seat. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just let that go. Donations. So, 9 Cents obviously hosts its own files. Uh, we produce the segments and we do all of this for free for your entertainment. I do have a donation button on the homepage, but I don't really hit you up that hard because as long as I can cover the uh, monthly uh, hosting and annual um, URL, then it's not really a big deal. So I just received a donation. Thank you very much for that. Um, And for all of you who are thinking, how can I possibly help Nine Cents continue? Well, you can donate too. And all donations go directly to um, hosting fees, uh, domain fees, and uh, equipment if there's any overflow, any overflow. Hasn't been yet, but fingers crossed, someday there may be. Uh, and then at the top there, you heard Jesse giving us another really wonderful intro, a little top drop. You can leave your own. Uh, call the Google Voice account at 801-899-6168 and leave your own drop saying, I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. I've actually gotten an influx of them as of late, and so I really appreciate it. And it's always nice to hear people giving their own takes on that intro. So leave your own if you have some time. Uh, Don't worry about it. You can practice all you want. Delete all the ones you don't like. Um, But no one's going to pick up the phone number. Or you can just shoot me an mp3 at info at 9centspodcast.com. So I had this really weird experience, then. Really, really weird. And... uh, (laughs) It's it's about kids, so, you know, <laughs> I don't know how much input you're going to have to give, but you're a, a, an intelligent man, and so uh, maybe you can uh, give a little advice here. I know everything so I, about children. <laughs> what's that? I said I know absolutely everything about children. Perfect. Good. All right. So here it is. I get a phone call from my kid's daycare, and they're like, uh, uh, your son really wants to go home. Uh, he's really not having a good day. And could you come pick him up? And I just kind of chuckled like, no, why, why would you think that because my son is having a bad day that I would stop my professional life and go and pick him up when I'm paying you 
to take care of him. Like, I, why would this even, like, appear in your mind? And she's just like, well, this is, you know, he's, I've never seen him like this before. And it's just really, he's having a just really, really bad day. And he just wants to go home really bad. I was like, well, how about you just give him the phone and let me talk to him? So my son is very headstrong. Um, I, I guess any kid is headstrong, I should say. You know, they don't, there's no real rational understanding or thought. It's just uh, emotion that you're experiencing and reacting. There's not a lot of thought that goes into it. And so he gets on the phone. He's like, Dad, can you please come pick me up? I'm like, do you like having a house? And I love doing this as a father, even though I hated it when my parents did it to me. Do you like having a house over your head? Do you like eating food? Do you like having clothes and games and toys? Because the only way that I can do this stuff is if I work and you leave me alone. Now, it just sounds mean, but it just gets to a point where I'm like, you have to take ownership of your feelings. Other people can influence your feelings, but you ultimately have ownership over them. So I don't know what started the bad day. I really don't care. The point is you need to make a decision whether or not you're going to have a bad day and influence those around you, or if you're just going to deal with it like a man. And I need you to deal with it like a man. I cannot leave my work every time that you feel bad. And, you know, so essentially it kind of went along those lines for about five minutes. And I was like, you're going to stay there. You're going to deal with it. I need you to man up. Get me on the phone with the daycare lady. And so she gets on the phone. I explain it to her. And she says, wow, no parent has ever done that before or said that before. And I'm stunned. Like, I feel kind of shitty for doing it. But he, as with any kid, has to deal with life they can't run away from it and so in your opinion Aden, is that something that people should be doing or is that i mean are we in a world where you should just deal with the kids whenever they feel bad or oh come on what do you think i'm gonna say no <laughs> so he's having a bad day i mean as long as he wasn't hurt or he's sick or you know someone didn't rape him and that's why he's having a bad day then there's he's having a goddamn bad day boo hoo <laughs> It's a little it's taste always, of adulthood that will soon be almost every day. Yeah, oh, I, I know. I, and I love that too, but you, it's so annoying when you say that because to them, they're just like, oh, harp on, old man. Just let me play a video game. Uh, <laughs> you're just like, you little shit. You have no idea. <laughs> so wait, your son does this uh, fairly often then. Well, the having the bad day part, yeah. not really. Like, this is the first time he's ever called saying, I want to come home because I'm having a bad day. Usually, it's just he doesn't have any foresight in understanding how how he actually decides to react to other people rather than him just saying, well, they made me mad. Well, no, they, they influenced your opinion of the occurrence, but you're the one that allowed it to happen. Like, it's not like they turned a dial on your brain to mad like that. That's something that you did <laughs> based on what they just did. So, you know, he, he just doesn't have that understanding yet, which I don't even know if I had it until I was maybe mid twenties. So I can't really fault him, but yeah, I just feel like we, we have to teach our kids this. And what bothered me and kind of part of the reason why I'm talking about this is that the daycare lady said that this, I was the first parent to ever say that before. Like, presumably, every other parent that she has called about this has gone to pick their kid up. What the fuck? You see, they're, 
not only are they doing a disservice to their kid, but they're setting me up for failure because other kids are like, oh, my dad picked me up when I was having a boo-boo day. And now that's expected. Why can't we just fucking have our kids deal with life? And just like you said, I mean, you know, if the raping wasn't violent, then maybe they could still deal. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, they, they just need to deal with deal with the shitty days because they are so often in life. If they don't learn it at a young age, then they're never going to learn it. And they're just going to expect to have this, I don't know, world revolve around their feelings. <laughs> Which... All right, so coming up here in October in Utah is something called Lucifest, and it's put on by a friend of mine, a Satan, fellow Satanist, and it's two days of punk, metal, and hardcore celebrating the, the idea, the aesthetic of Lucifer. I am so sorry. So, How the hell are you guys getting away with this in fucking Utah? <laughs> You'd be surprised, man. Apparently. It's pretty awesome. Um, as long as you're not actively ripping up a Book of Mormon, they pretty much let you do whatever you want. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> Once you do that, though, you get banned. <laughs> uh, all right. It kind of sucks. Real but what's really great about this festival is that it's it's all put together by a Satanist for the Satanic minded so obviously it's not just satanists are going to attend and the bands are not obviously going to be satanic bands but it is all around this this uh aesthetic of of lucifer i went last year it was a lot of fucking fun it was really great to do a little barbecue and drinking before the show started and it was really really cool um so if anyone's going to be in utah definitely check that out i'll be posting more details the closer we get to october on uh, the Facebook page for Nine Cents and probably the other social networking sites too. But just to give you a heads up, Lucifest is coming back for yet another year. And that's going to be pretty badass. All right, so is there anything you want to talk about before we start the show? You know, I, I need to get laid. <laughs> what? That's just... Yeah, that's the long and short of it. <laughs> I... I have. I imagine you always getting laid. Like I've. I've never even thought that there was a night that you weren't getting laid. Exactly. I don't. I don't have sex a lot. Really? Yeah. No. Boring. <laughs> Holy shit! I really genuinely thought you were just like a party animal all weekday and all weekend. Oh no 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 no! I have no social life during the week except um, pretty much Darren or my writing buddy, who, and he lives on the next block. During the weekend, on Saturday, I usually clean the house and just kind of unwind from work. Sunday I is the night I go out with my buddies, and we go to my favorite pizzeria in downtown, then we go out to this little craft beer bar, and then I get hammered, I come back, I, play, I watch a movie, pass out, do it all over again. So this big... <laughs> so now, now to make sure I don't waste this vacation like I did my last one, the past two days, I've been forcing myself to go to bed at night and staying up all day because I, I, my schedule is completely. I sleep all day, and I'm up, all, and I'm up all night. So because I have I'm a up, hard time doing that. It's not. I've been doing a night job since I was 17. I actually preferred it until very recently. Now it's just getting in my way. But so that's why I sound kind of funky. 
I'm like, so oh. what about what about it is is changed? Like what what was influenced you to have a desire for more of a day life? A social life, pretty much. Uh. I find it very difficult to actually date because <laughs> I'm so tired from uh, on the weekends that I don't want to do anything. I just stay at home, and I poured so much money into making my house look the way I wanted to. I'm like, oh, it's so nice in here. Why leave? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so. that's also counterintuitive, though. I would I would imagine that more of a nightlife would, unless of course you're just staying at home. But more of a nightlife would encourage the meeting of other people and stuff. No, I'm, I'm, I've always been kind of a homebody. I like I like staying home. So what what do you look for in in someone that you want to have sex with? What what is the what's your sort of go to guy? Um. I don't know. I don't really hit on anybody. They hit on me. <laughs> so what is it that that uh, makes you say yes? That influences a uh, positive reaction to their uh, their come on? Well, it, besides looks, um, yeah, their behavior. Are you going to sit down and have a conversation with me, or are you just going to um, say, "Hey, nice ass, top or bottom"? Then I'm just like verse. And then you go through the, <laughs> you go through the basic questions, and they're like, "You want to go back to, you want to go back to your place?" Fuck, no, man, I'm good. I rather just masturbate. <laughs> oh damn! Because it's easy. Sex is easy. I I don't understand anybody who has a hard time getting laid. So, uh, so I I like to get to know people a little bit now. So the fact that you're not getting laid right now, is that because you just haven't been going out? No, it's a complete choice. I haven't even called my fuck buddies. Really? Yeah, like I said, I can, most, of, most of my gay friends, if you see me with a gay, if you see me with a gay guy and I introduce him as a friend, nine times out of ten, I'm fucking him regularly. So huh. it's, I'm not having sex out of choice. I'm tired. That's what, I'm just tired. I'm tired and I'm old. <laughs> you are not old. Oh, I feel old. <laughs> yeah. <Okay>. What? Uh, <laughs> let me ask you this: What is there a tell for you that someone that you're just old or someone else is old? Is there something like aesthetically, visually, that you just say, you know what, this defines old? No, it's a feeling. Like Darren is a seventeen-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's over 10 years older than me. <laughs> yeah. So other people, I just, I look at them when we're all hanging out and partying and I'm like, what the, you're, you're in your fifties. How the hell are you doing this? <laughs> they're like, ah, you're just, they're like, ah, you're just old. Yeah. Well, I am, I am old. So <laughs> I'm, like I'm I old for me. Curmudgeon. Yeah. For you. For me, old is definitely droopy balls. Like some days, this is going to sound weird. Some days I get out of the shower. I'm just like, holy fuck, I am old. (laughs) These things are like hitting the floor. (laughs) They're so old balls. That is what's old for guys to me. That is how you tell. (laughs) I swear to you, your genitals are insane. (laughs) It shape shifts when it's not feeling well. Your balls are like a goddamn yo-yo. They go up and down. 
<laughs> What's going on down there? I don't know, man. All right, here's the oh, thing. Oh, no, but that's, that's true. That's like, literally how I see things. Like, <laughs> All right, you know balls sag. Yeah, that's After, what I'm saying. Wait a, minute, wait a minute. After they've been emptied. I've had them sag pre-empty. I guess they just get longer after. Well, that, and it's kind of like women's tits and cat's stomach, you know. There's weight in there. <laughs> They're just going to, gravity gets the best of you. Now, I don't know why this is a bad thing, because really, when I'm bottoming and I'm getting fucked, I want to feel that guy's balls slapping my ass. I want to feel... <laughs> like, come on, I, man. I, That's part of the package, too. I want to feel those nuts. Come on! I've, I was kind of wondering about that because I, I, I know the girls dig it. I don't I didn't know if all guys digged it too because it seems like it would be ball to ball or something. That seems like it would hurt. No, it's not ball to ball. Huh, right. Is there ball not? Would just thigh or something. No, no, no. The balls would swing and hit my taint. Oh. Right. Now, if it's yeah. ball, yeah. Because, like, you're bent over. Or if you're... Yeah. Or if you're on your back, then, you know, they're not going to hit your balls. They're slapping your ass. All slapping. It's good ball slapping sex. That's what <laughs> Nothing but ball. Oh, when I'm watching, I... <laughs> when I'm watching porn, and I, I finally found a reason to enjoy when they're focusing on the top's ass. I'm like, why am I looking at the top's ass? There's something going on back there. And yeah, sure, he's got a nice ass, but the dick's on the other side, and so is the pounding. And I'm like, oh, wait, no, look at those balls. Dude. Dude, that's awesome. Damn, he's just railing him because those things are sight. He's going he's gonna to be very sore. About twenty minutes, and that's hot. <laughs> yeah, that there is definitely that. Yeah. <laughs> the the slapping and sore, and and like the more they sag, you get like more centrifugal force pushing them forward. So it's like swinging a sling or something. It, it exactly. Gets, it's pretty crazy. So you're not All getting right. old. You're getting more opportunity for ball slapping <laughs> sex. Nature. Right. It's trying to help. Satan is dragging your balls down. <laughs> he's like, "Here, let me help you out here. Yeah. Just tug a little here." <laughs> he's like, "He's like my Thank most me later. my most devoted reverend. I know, <laughs> I know you like ball slapping sex. So I'm gonna yank these down a little for you. But thank you. I'm gonna pull them down. I'm not gonna like it too much, but we're gonna do this. I feel old with my balls. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? What are you five? <laughs> Apparently, uh, Darren's twelve. I'm five. Yeah, and I'm well, <laughs> and I'm eighty. <laughs> eighty year old Den. Yeah. All right, eighty year old. Let's let's do a little devil's advocate. Share some of your uh, ancient wisdom. Ancient wisdom? No. Alright, so this is the devil's advocate. We are going to be talking about that that adage, question all things. And I've always, the, the first time that I ran across this was uh, in the Satanic Bible, the Book of Satan, 2-2. And it references uh, the idea of questioning all things in the context of religion. And you hear it throughout almost all of satanic essays, whether it's online or in purchased books, where they always come back to this idea of questioning all things. Now, obviously, it's center to Satanism, but um, 
again, because the first exposure to the notion of questioning all things by Anton LaVey was wrapped around the idea of religion, um, specifically like, you know, white light religions. Um, and, and we have from that moment now, you know, 50 somewhat, almost 50 years later, uh, carried it through to so many different aspects. Um, do you, how do you see this idea of question all things? It's, it's, gonna, uh, it's gonna be a bit disappointing because it's so simple. I think mm -hmm. of it exactly the way it's written. So, you know, trust, trust, doubt. You know, someone presents you with something like a bridge in Brooklyn for sale, you, know, you should probably doubt it. So, yeah. it's it, it, the wonderful thing about this religion and the philosophical components is the only thing that's complicated about it is its history in um, egoism, individualism, materialism, uh, Epicureanism. It gets complicated when it's with its history or when it's applied. But the philosophy in and of itself, its principles, including the one of doubt or question all things, is obscenely simple. So it's that's the way I think of it. It's oh, question all things. Yes, if I'm presented with something, I should probably do a little bit of homework on it, especially if someone says it's emphatically true. Oh, yeah. So like, well, you know what, Ben, let me I'll figure that out for myself. Thank you. And it's also a way to keep you an independent thinker. Mm hmm. And that is really, you know, at, at, at the center of things here is, is the individual. Um, because you, you don't have to be a Satanist to pick up and read the Satanic Bible. You don't have to ever even align yourself with the left-hand path in order to read it. But that idea, whether or not you align yourself with the left-hand path, strikes home. So if you are science-minded, it obviously carries parallels with the way science is conducted. Uh, questioning results, double-checking results, double-testing, and, and continually taking established ideas and questioning and re-looking at them and turning them in your hand and seeing them from a different perspective. What, the reason why I bring this up is because, I, and I don't, tell me if, if you see this as well, I often find people who champion the idea of questioning all things unless it's something that they align themselves with. So, so if there's someone that they respect, for example, and they just spout something out, uh, climate change has nothing to do with humans or our environment. If it's someone that you respect, you're less likely to question that. If it, whether it's true or not, whether it has any impact or not, human beings are less likely to question things from people that they like. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so if you're a Satanist and a known or a Satanist that you uh, favor says something, you're less likely to question that. And what and when Anton LaVey said that, he didn't say question all things unless it's a Satanist saying it. <laughs> he just said simply question all things. It's it's universal. So th there may be established ideas. Do we need a Church of Satan? Is the Church of Satan relevant? Well, the questioning of it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's part of everyone inherently. You should always question, are, are the, the nine satanic statements relevant to me? Question it. Don't just say, I see myself as a Satanist, and so I must, without even reading them or really knowing them, 
accept them. No, study it, read it. And, and what's good, the, I, I think one of the real wonderful reasons for doing this, this exercise, especially for all of you out there who see yourselves, identify yourselves as Satanists, whether you're members of the TOS or not, um, question the essays. Question the thoughts behind the essays that are online and in published books. Um, question the tenets of Satanism. Because if you do that and you come to a place where you don't agree, then you've just done something wonderful, not only for yourself, but for those of us who are Satanists as well. You've identified yourself as not being a Satanist and you can move on with your life. I... <laughs> I, you know, when, when we see these other uh, groups out there that identify as Satanists in one way or another, I don't actually think they've ever done this. They, they have read Anton LaVey's words and they say, Aha! I am a Satanist. Now let me run and do my own thing and define and sort of adjust the definition of Satanism in my own way. When what they should be doing is saying, Do I really agree with this or do I just like how it sounds? Because there's a difference! There's a huge difference. You should question all things, including Satanism and your position, your mind's position with Satanism. I think, um, it's, I think it's called cognitive dissonance. Uh, you, you just, and it's a, it's a part of our species. We're a group animal. Uh, if you like someone, you need to trust them. It's it makes perfect sense. But th this is not the woods anymore. You can't, you don't always need to trust the person who tells you something just because they told you and you have to live with them. But I had problem. I, there was one or two of Peter's essays. I had, I, I had, I took issue with some of the things in there. And so when I had the opportunity to meet him, I'm like, all right, buddy, come here. <laughs> I got, I, 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 you have to explain this to me because this this is just um, well you just got to explain it to me and he did he took the time and he uh, put my worries to rest and I think I think he appreciated it and instead of just saying ah oh, yes everything you do is brilliant um, and everything you do is amazing and everything you say is absolutely true um, no, I want you to answer these questions for me. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's uh, anything and everything and constantly and continually. My friends still give me, you know, the third degree. Like, all right, you said A, B, and C. Well, now we got to, I call bullshit. I don't believe that. Where's your evidence? And I've never replied, well, you're my friend. You should just believe me. They're like, fuck you. There's another way this works. <laughs> I got your back, but I'm not stupid. I mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, I feel like not enough people, I, I think tons of people champion the idea of questioning all things, but no one actually wants to go through the work of doing it. It's <laughs> like, it's so easy to say, okay, well, I, I respect these people. I will never look into this. Or, uh, well, it's, it's a complex idea that these people are talking about but I like them so I'm just gonna take their word for it and just move along with my life um, the fear of and then wrong. I think what's that uh, I said the fear of being wrong yeah is yeah just ridiculously popular <laughs>
And I think that plays um, a heavy hand in this. It's uh, in the back of their minds. Well, I want to believe this. I need to believe this. So I'm, I'm going to. That's just that's the way it is. And they don't entertain the idea of, well, what, what if I'm wrong? Well, then you learn something. You can reevaluate and be more accurate. And you can um, exist more productively because you're dealing with more facts and truths than you are just faith and beliefs. Um, I, I, I often... I, it, I think it's, it, it's counterintuitive on its face um, that being wrong is a good thing. We're definitely not taught that way. All of school that we're brought up through, in the States at least, um, I, I don't have any experience outside of it, so I can't speak to it, but in the States, it's a bad thing if you're wrong. You get knocked down a grade if you're wrong. But in reality, it's a wonderful thing because you've just discovered a truth. It's okay to be wrong. And if you've lived your life thinking X, Y, and Z, and your experience in life tells you, no, it's A, B, and C, well, that's okay. It's not, you you can't look at it and say, well, I was wrong all these years. I feel stupid and I feel bad. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to double down and just for the sake of of, of my well-being, how I feel about it. No, just like you said, Adana, you can move forward more productively knowing the truth. So whether it's <laughs> whether it's gas mileage in a car or the savings in your local supermarket uh, deal, whether or not it's actually a good saving or a good gas mileage, whatever it is in life that you're questioning, doing due diligence in checking it actually in the long run, makes you a, a stronger individual, even if that means that you've been lying to yourself for a while. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, anyone who is a former Christian can tell you that. And I'm sure those who once aligned themselves with Satanism and now realize that they weren't Satanists would tell you that. That it's okay to be wrong as long as you come out the other end knowing who and what you are. And I have to say, at least for myself... If you look at Satanism and you realize that you're not a Satanist, I'm glad because you're not going to misrepresent what this is. Like the, the reality is, is I, I don't want you here. You probably don't like me either. And that if we go our separate ways, we're fucking better off as human beings. So truly look at yourself. And, and I'm not saying this to turn anyone away from Satanism. Of course, I don't care. Do your thing. It's, it's all about you. It's not about me. But if it's... um. If it's climate science, if it's uh, politics, if it's uh, you choosing an opinion or a side in some uh, local social event, um, you know, we have tons of them, whether it's a gun debate or whether it's uh, women's uh, birth control or whatever it is. You can take the easy road of saying, oh, well, this is what I believe. This is what this person is saying, and I respect them, so... Or you can just actually look into yourself and have an informed opinion. It literally doesn't take very long to get the facts of a situation before you react to it. And it just makes you so much better of a human being if you do. Well, what about the dark side of doubt? Have you ever met those people who they doubt incessantly everything even 
even accepted facts, we know it's true, like gravity. Oh, or, yes. Or that the Earth is round. Have you ever met those people? The, the what is it called? The, the flat Earth theory or something? Yeah, yeah. No, I love that you brought that up. That's And that's the dark side of doubt. Well, I doubt everything. Yeah? You, well, at this point, is you're just kind of stupid. You can't... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I love that. I, I as as a movement, I I love the idea of it, but it is incredibly frustrating to deal with. Um, no, I I run into these people like, for example, with the moon landing. Uh. Conspiracy theorists, I would say, we doubt so much that we can't see facts when they're in front of us because we doubt the facts. And but you know, it is it is a, a it's it's a tough line to walk. It's like you're drunk and you're trying to walk a line. Um, Thank you, John. Because in, in, in one, on one side, you have to say, okay, these are the tested results of questioning, and empirically, they are fact as seen by mankind. And on the other side, it's, well, you can't trust anyone because you have to doubt everything. And so <laughs> it's actually a really good position to be in to say, well, who? what are you supposed to believe? Like, do, do I believe in climate science or do I doubt it because there's convincing arguments on the other side or just by nature, I'm supposed to doubt. Well, I'm supposed to question. Here, I have, I take issue with the wording. It's when my doubt is satisfied, I don't believe I know. Mm. I know something. And of course, when you claim to know something, you could very well be wrong. But hey, that's a mistake. It's not that I didn't doubt enough. It's my doubt was satisfied. And then each time you make a mistake, you know, you can doubt more reasonably the next time. Oh, I like that. So yeah, you're doubting reasonably. And then after your doubt is satisfied, then you know. The people who claim I doubt everything and then they doubt so much as their own existence. <laughs> we all live in a dream. <laughs> yeah. Can you prove me wrong? Buddy, that's not the way logic works. All right. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, no, that's a big fallacy. But uh, it's, um, they, they cannot know anything. They're, they're empty vessels. All they do is, I want to call them intellectual black holes, but I can't because those people actually know things. They just, you know, don't do anything with their knowledge. But you get my gist, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, it's it's the history of science. You know, it's, we, we, we don't know anything, so we attribute it to a god or a higher being. Then we learn a little bit. And at that moment, we're satisfied about it. Okay, we understand the basics of gravity. Our doubt is satisfied. It is no longer God pulling us down. It is gravity pulling us down. And then we see the gravity doesn't affect things at, at tiny molecular levels. And we say, oh, shit, we don't really understand this anymore. Is it God or is it just something else we don't fully understand? So throughout all of our lives, we go through this process of, well, I am satisfied in my doubt, I now know what X is, and then something comes to stir it up. 
whether it's a thought or someone else's thought right. or experience. And you just move from there. And, and it's okay to be in a position of, and, and this just goes back to being wrong and that it's, it's a good thing to be proven wrong or to fail because then you learn from that. Then you can adjust your way of thinking. And this is the, the fundamental reason why I'm, okay, well, one of the many fundamental reasons why I don't like the creationist view of the universe is that no matter of facts shown to them, it doesn't matter because their God did it. So they refuse to acknowledge facts when presented to them. They refuse to entertain ideas that are outside of their view of the Bible. And so they must be wrong. And that is not how a productive human being's brain works. You're literally stopping the the, the progression. And if, if life as the history of existence has shown us to date, is that you need progression. You need to move forward in order to move yourself and your species and life itself forward. So you always have to question. You always have to question all things. You always have to doubt your position, but not to the sake of never, ever accepting anything. Except for what you understand at that moment and know that at any time you may have to reevaluate your thoughts. I feel like we've we've gone a little deeper down a rabbit hole. <laughs> well, I hope it's clear. I don't know. Well, I, I like this is going to be kind of funny or corny or sad, whichever. Um, <laughs> I like what Jay, I, I, I like what Kay tells Jay in the original Men in Black. So I like what Tommy Lee Jones tells Will Smith. Um, 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And five minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. And imagine <laughs> what you'll know tomorrow. Yes. And yes. I liked it because it's a good fusion between remember to doubt your knowledge, but at the same time, don't do it reasonably with good evidence. Doubt is through prompting. When they thought they had they figured out everything through classical Newtonian physics and then people started seeing uh, scientists started seeing things like wait a minute if we have it all figured out these things we're seeing shouldn't be happening we would be able to predict them perfectly the clockwork universe but it's not all right so okay now I have to doubt the previous model and I have to explore this and then shit got really weird so <laughs> yeah god bless quantum mechanics Made the universe really <laughs> fucked up. No, it, it's it's great, and I, I think that's a, actually a wonderful place to to end the discussion on. Um, okay. I'm really actually glad I had this conversation with you. Uh, you you always bring some really uh, original insight to things, but that that was really good. Like butt fucking. Uh, in front of the foreman. Okay, so this first article, uh, State of Emergency After Northern California Shaken by Biggest Earthquake in 25 Years. This is published August 24 by ABC News. Um, okay, so the gist of it is Northern California was hit by a 6.1 earthquake. I believe there is like... Um, 15,000 people without power in the Napa Valley on or around, and there's some uh, 90 people injured, none of them 
at least I don't think any of them very seriously. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about, or I wanted to bring this article up. This is from abcnews.go.com. Uh, because I, I think it's wonderful we all, we, okay, specifically as Satanists, and, and specifically on this podcast, we talk a lot about owning one's life and the direction of one's life, um, you know, through lesser magic or through greater magic, influencing the world around you to define your place in it. But it, I, I find a little bit of joy when we realize that we don't have absolute control of things and nature takes an awful turn sometimes and will just remind us how small and insignificant we actually are on this planet. Um, have you ever been in a position like that, Aden, where you, you, you're, you're on this run of, of living your life and then suddenly it just all stops because something happened? Well, unfortunately, I haven't been raped. But... <laughs> Wait, uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? I know what I'm talking about, but anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, well, I guess the, the best way I can put it is just a death. So, you know, uh, good day and then get a phone call and oh, shit. <laughs> Out of absolutely nowhere. So... That's that's the most I can put. I mean, Hurricane Sandy to me was just like I took a walk. I took a walk during the fucking hurricane. So um, no natural disaster, luckily, has happened to a degree where it's um, where it's put me in any kind of physical danger. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, tornadoes and whatnot—they never came near my my parents' house in Michigan. Here, Hurricane Sandy—the worst it did was knock out the power for ten days. And we just threw a party. So, damn. We had all this beer in the house. <laughs> no refrigeration, lots of beer equals good time in my book. Oh, yeah, it was good. It was a fucking great time. Anyway, so, so no, uh, has anything like that ever happened to you where you've been put in a situation where it's, you know, nature's, nature's after your ass? Well, if we broaden the, the definition of nature and just say, human events then yeah i mean 911 put me in a state of real fucking headache um and so I, broadening the conversation to that level of uh human influenced occurrences that you have zero as an individual control over i think we're pretty quarantined well here in the states there's a handful of terror attacks in a number of generations um as far as natural disasters, we have a handful of them in this generation that have had to deal with it. This one being um, on the smaller scale of natural disasters, in my opinion, mm -hmm. um, though it does obviously affect a, a large number of people. There wasn't a lot of lives taken, and so that's how I'm measuring impact. Um, but if you go anywhere else in the world, you have genocides, <laughs> you have daily uh, bombings, you know, and so it's it's a little bit shitty for us to sit in the United States and say, oh, this is terrible. We had an earthquake when anyone in fucking uh, uh, Israel or <laughs> Palestine is just like, fuck you, we're dying here. <laughs> your earthquake, your little body shaking. Oh, I'm sorry. We're getting blown up. 
So, <laughs> you know, a little bit of perspective goes a long way as far as human events goes. I'm sure the people of Napa are really frustrated that their wineries may be stopping for, I don't know, a couple weeks as they repair any damage. But um, <laughs> I, I just, I, I love the fact that, um, I mean, even going to Katrina, that affected a ton of people. And the governmental response was horrible. But but they moved on like we we as human beings are really wonderful for being able to adapt and and move there are parts of the world where people can't move and they're just forced to sit and deal with it uh <laughs> and then there's actually probably more than you would think in 20 fucking 14 that would have to just deal with it and not be able to get out of it um but it moments like this what it just reminds me of how fortunate we are and how wonderful nature is in that all we are are these tiny little ants on the surface of this rock we have zero impact of control over uh, the course of this rock we just have to fucking deal and it makes some people feel insignificant and it makes them feel small and it makes them feel vulnerable but it's empowering when you realize it, in my opinion, because rather than looking at the big picture, you can say, well, I don't have control over the big picture, so let me refine my frame and only bring it down to where I actually have control over. And by limiting your scope, by limiting your field of view, you realize that you do actually have a significant amount of influence in that frame. And that you're not at the mercy of things. It's, it's, it's almost empowering when you do that. So obviously, you know, you put on your horse blinders in your day-to-day -day lives, but understand that on a grander scheme, you have to be able to take them off to have perspective, to plan and set goals for yourselves, etc. But it's, it's <laughs> well, personally, I don't feel sorry for anyone I don't personally know, but it, it is... Um, it, it's, it's human traits for some people where they just feel, oh, I feel so bad for them. They have to deal with this. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. But for those of you who do have that, I don't know, trigger in your brain where you just have to feel something for other human beings, I'm sure it's a genetic thing at some level. Like we, it, It's how we collectively gathered together and survived, I, I suppose, in some measure. Um, do you have any insight in that? I mean, where, where, where that need for caring for others you don't know comes from? Uh, I guess it just, it probably for the same reason that people watch things like the real world or soap operas. Oh my <laughs> God, people are dying and doing shittily. I, <laughs> I have to watch this. Um, and then the, the sympathy, and they get their nice little good guy badge, and you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Well, I, I gotta say, um, sucks for them, they're in the middle of it, but again, seeing large-scale events like this allow you a bit of um, strength in, in saying, okay, I can't control these things, these things are gonna happen. You cannot plan for every possible outcome, so maybe if I just focus on what I do have influence over, then you can actually start moving forward as a productive human being. Then you can actually sort of carve out a niche for you. You can have a little bit of control in that way.
But yeah, you're never going to be able to... <laughs> I know no rational listeners are going to think this, hmm. but every once in a while I run into someone who does. You don't have control. You can't do a... You cannot perform a ritual and stop an earthquake or cause an earthquake. I, I, it's stupid to say it, but I feel like some people have to hear it. You can't do that. That's not how life works. <laughs> you just have to deal with this shit. All right? So refine your frame your 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 arm of influence bring it in and take a little bit of ownership of your life if you're in the napa valley man that sucks <laughs> but you know what it was not that severe so kind of fucking deal with it it's nature you chose to live on a fault line <laughs> that's your choice you, you live in the united states you can literally go wherever you want and you chose to stay on a fault line uh-huh. all right it's your, your fucking fault. And that goes to Katrina too, man. You live below sea level. At some point, the sea level is going to meet your ass. <laughs> Whether it's from a hurricane or the breaking of your dams. You are taking yours seriously. You are taking your lives in your own hands if you live below the sea level. Come on now. <laughs> really. And, then, you know, it goes for me too. I, you have to sort of weigh pros and cons of wherever you live. I'm in enough range of uh, Yellowstone, the the dormant volcano that is Yellowstone National Park. And if ever if it ever erupts, I'm a goner. Like I'm zero life chance. I will die. So you know, obviously, you can't go anywhere without a natural occurrence being a threat. But you can measure the severity of that threat by the frequency of its occurrence. In this case, a 6.0 in 25 years is pretty damn good. That's a pretty safe place to live, and they produce some pretty amazing wines. So. You know, maybe not move out because of this, but don't be surprised when shit like this happens. That's why you have insurance. (laughs) Plan. Plan, people. All right, let's do this next one quickly here because we are running way late. Ah, that's my fault. Uh, Not at all, not at all. Let's see. The Washington Times, thousands march with Al Sharpton. Uh, Okay, just on his face. Are you a fan of this dude? He's the king of black people, of course. He's the king of black? I thought you were the king of black people. No, 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 no. There's a different... Of... <laughs> no, it was a South Park episode. Al Sharpton oh, okay. is not the king of black people. Well, he told my dad he was. <laughs> See, I don't watch enough to get the fucking... The, the jokes. Damn it. He rubs, he rubs me like a racist. Oh, for real? Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. Oh, God damn it. I'm going to get some people mad at me for this. Uh, okay. Um, I need to. I need to let some people know something, and this may come as a shock to you. I'm white. I'm. I'm a white person. I'm of white <laughs> skin pigment. Um, no, I. But because I'm white, there is a significant number of people in this world with dark pigmented skin that think I am default a racist. And it's a pretty common idea. Like, oh, you're white? Well, you were, you're, you're born into racism. You don't have a choice. It's just who and what you are. You're a racist. And I say, fucking bullshit. That's a racist fucking idea in and of itself. <laughs> if I'm to put some character dispersions on you because of your skin pigment and you do the exact same thing back at me, doesn't that mean we're all racist? Doesn't that mean that all human beings have biases that make sense in some cases and don't make sense in others? Like, does that mean that everyone's a racist, not just white people? Come on! No. Really? 
No! As one of my, <laughs> hey, 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 as one of my employees told me, see, you, black people can't be racist be, because they don't have any of the power. Oh. Oh. Oh my God! And this guy, this employee, mine lives across the street. We have, we're quite similar, and we go back and forth about that all the time. And I reference. I reference Al Sharpton. I'm like, this man was uh, was important to the civil rights movement. I'll give him that. But now he's a celebrity hound, and he uses uh, race, race wars. That's what he's that's what he's doing. Race wars, the white people, the white people, the white cops beating up the black kid. And um, because I, I guess the way he sees it now is... You know, any anything to move the cause forward. Yeah, uh, the the ends justify the means, as it were. Yeah, and sometimes they do, but not when it makes you a hypocrite. Yeah. Okay, so the the central theme of this uh, short article here uh, is, and this is written by Jessica Chasmer is that uh, he, Reverend Al Sharpton, and thousands of demonstrators are marching in New York on Saturday protesting the death of a young man at the hands of a, an officer of law, a police officer. And it's, it's relevant in, in that, you know, we, we just saw this huge thing about Ferguson blow up. And so it brings up a conversation of if... Blacks, by and large, are targeted more than whites, and the deaths of targeted blacks are occurring without repercussions to the police officers killing them. Uh, is that fair? Is that right? There's no justice. There's no peace. So, um, I don't think you can argue, and though I do know people who would, that... Uh, black men and women are targeted more than white men and women when it comes to um, traffic stops, when it comes to, especially in New York, uh, search, uh, just stop and search, stop and frisk laws. Um, blacks are just targeted more than whites. Um, so let me ask you, Aden. Do you think that that it's worth looking into and it's worth releasing, having a full disclosure of uh, investigations on the deaths of young black men and women at the hands of police before an investigation has an opportunity to complete. So this is speaking not only to the choking death of uh, this Eric Garner, um, but also to Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Right. I haven't been following the stories that closely. All I know is, um, well, shit went down. <laughs> it's true. Is it? <laughs> okay, so um, I, I guess there's some points of contention of of where... Where police police's authority begins and ends with uh, death. So if, um, for example, 18-year-old Michael Brown, who is a big man, 
is stopped for seemingly no reason, told to halt, is running, turns around, is seen as aggressing the officer, and the officer fires multiple times, even after he's dead on the ground, whether or not that's justified. Um, and, and it comes down to, and, and uh, moving forward here, um, or maybe backwards, to Eric Garner, who was being in, put in a chokehold by a police officer, uh, who was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and he was uh, arrested on suspicion of selling untaxed cigarettes. Um, oh my saying, god, the monster! <laughs> uh, saying he couldn't breathe, and he actually died. But nothing, uh, no charges were filed against a police officer, even though the autopsy led to um, a statement of homicide. So, what's that? That officer, after anonymous publishes information, they sneaked him out of town or something and said, hide him. Uh, anonymous is hiding him, is what you said? No, no, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> so, the the group anonymous attacked Ferguson. Oh, yeah. The oh, I didn't know that. I didn't hear that. Oh, I'll send you some stuff. It's great. Anyway, go ahead. I feel like anonymous it acts like they're a bigger threat than they actually are. Like, oh, I don't know. They, co they cause a lot of problems with their hacking. Really? Yeah. I guess I, guess I just haven't seen enough of it. I hear a lot about it, but I don't actually see any of it. Well, you, you can't see it. It's in the internet. <laughs> it's ones and zeros, man. That's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I, I actually, I land on the side of, um, of uh, open clarity, uh, personally. So I don't mind filming our police officers. I don't, even though they fucking hate it, I don't mind questioning and having rallies uh, against the police because our police have significantly become more militarized. Now, I was um, just this last Saturday morning, uh, yesterday morning, I went up to uh, film a, a marathon for a city that we're pr doing some uh, video promos for uh, in my ad agency. So I was uh, up butt crack early watching these and filming these marathon runners coming down. And we had to cross the street with this uh, cop. And a nice looking gentleman, sorry, my kids and their friends are in the background. I hope you don't disembody. Um, this gentleman, uh, this cop, was watching the street and letting people go and stopping traffic and stuff. And I had a brief, you know, 30 word conversation with him, but he was super fucking cool. Like just a nice gentleman of a police officer. And I found myself thinking as I was walking away, why isn't every cop like this? Like what, when I'm stopped by uh, um, a highway officer, they're dicks. They're straight up assholes. When I'm stopped by a city police officer for doing five over the speed limit, they're fucking assholes. Why is it that this one police officer who is directing traffic is the coolest cop I've met in over 12 years? The coolest fucking guy. And that is the minority of police officers that I've had interaction with. Why do we, why does every cop have to be a fucking militant asshat? Like, we live in the United States. There are not daily bombings. People are not being murdered. Okay, that's not a fair statement. People are being murdered all the time. But not everyone's a fucking murderer. Like, you have to... 
it drives me crazy. Do you experience this at all? No, I've never had a bad experience with the cops. But then again, what? No. Am I a minority in this case? I don't. I can't tell. Like that's rare. I've never heard that before. Come on, I know how to play it. You know, sweet little suburban white kid, blonde hair, blue eye. I, I just, I bet. I've been caught in situations that should have led to something else, but it never did. They're like, oh, officer, I am so sorry. Uh. <laughs> you know, like, um, like the, uh, you know, bat my eyes. They're like, all right, kid. It's all right. We'll let you go. <laughs> It was weird, but before I went into the military uh, in my high school days, uh, I was pulled over by a number of cops for a number of different reasons, um, accidents or speeding tickets or whatever. Uh, and I, I have this vivid memory of them all being pretty okay people, a little doughy around the middle, uh, just, but otherwise just, you know, they, they were just okay with you. You know, they were doing their job. They right. weren't overtly militant or anything. And then I went in the military. I served with an MP unit. Uh, for part of my my tour duty. And I came back to the States, and I noticed at that point, every officer that I had any interaction with had a high end tight or a buzzed head. And they were straight up military. They had military-issued gear. And it, I felt like I never left the military because every officer was just straight up out of the MP unit that I served in. And it really genuinely bothered me that... that the turn in just a decade of police officer interaction from they're just doing their job trying to uphold the peace, they serve us, to you must fear the police and they are militant and you can never question what they are doing, whether they're right or wrong. It, it's like a, a 180 of how we're supposed to interact with police officers. All the while, we're paying their salaries and we're the fucking victims. It does... I do genuinely have this us versus them mentality when it comes to police. And I shouldn't. Like, there's no reason. I don't have any any tells about me. I'm not Arabian. I'm not black. I'm not a gangbanger. I don't look like a gangbanger. I don't drive a lowrider fucking car. And yet I still have the same interactions as if I were and did. And it drives me crazy. Now, I, I have no problem with judging people. I have no problem with... Um. Uh, uh, fuck! I can't even. <laughs> the what? The fucking um. What's that? Nothing. Go ahead. Well, uh, profiling is what I was thinking of. I have no problem with profiling because there's a reason why it exists. But it just drives me crazy that it is insane to question whether a death by the hand of a of a cop is right or wrong. And that's the argument that's being had nowadays. And that's why, you know, these, these peaceful protests are happening with none other than Mr. Sharpton is that they are questioning whether or not these deaths were warranted. They're not rising up and bombing people, but they're being seen as being just as bad as if they were. How dare you question the authority of the police? And you have to stop and question, at what point are, are they serving us or, or are we just supposed to keep our heads down and do everything we can to avoid them? Like, when did the local, state, and federal governments 
have ownership of our lives. At what point did that happen? And if you're defending the police's position in these in these uh, two events, but there are actually more that they represent, are you okay with with government running things as a, a military state? Because they have, there's literally, you cannot doubt that they have been militarized because the military has given them military-grade weaponry and equipment. They have been militarized as if it were some sort of state emergency. But we're not in that position in the United States. We just got finished talking about an article where we're, we're actually, we're protected, we're padded from the real world. And then obviously part of it's because, ironically, because of our military presence and, and our uh, lack of care for privacy. But still, <laughs> but still, I don't know. It, it drives me crazy. I don't mind protesting. I don't mind questioning the, the powers that be. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with shining a little bit of light and punishing murderers, whether or not they have a badge. Because when we... When we stop questioning those that are supposed to be protecting us and we just allow them authoritative power over our lives, their own biases will influence whether or not our life experience ends or is impacted. Um, and so we always have to have a little bit of transparency, uh, just the, the most minute about, uh, amount, I'm sorry, so that we can hold these people accountable if they are in fact murdering people just because they are afraid. Now, I know that being a police officer is dangerous. I understand that. And I'm not trying to say that that none of these deaths are justified because I don't have the facts to say that. But I, I will say that it is worth investigating and it is not okay to take one position over the other just because you are against the police or for the police. We should allow the process to happen of uh, evidence being uh, discovered and examined and punishing those who are either guilty or uh, in the wrong in some way. Uh <laughs>
Welcome to Militant Eroticism. I'm your host, Aden Arden, and this is, or these are, the Bromantics. In Greek literature, we find heroes' greatest love affairs not with women, but with men, their brothers, comrades, or even their mentors. Sometimes these relationships were, or interpreted as, erotic, but oftentimes they showed intense respect for another man who he felt was his brother. They shared a code, a belief, interests, activities, and when the mood hit, a sex partner. This masculine camaraderie is now referred to as a bromance. A slur implying perpetual boyhood. Real men get married, grow out of ad um, adolescence, need to bro down, and enjoy activities that are befitting a proper man. If a man wishes to grow from boy to proper man, he must concede that his boyish traits are to be abandoned in order to become a ranking member of his peers. Thus, a bromance is frowned upon because he is emotionally attached to his fellow man instead of a woman. I have to stress that I'm discussing bromance outside of a homosexual or heterosexual context. These words, in my oh-so-humble opinion, are, <laughs> or should be, irrelevant to a man. The type of lover one wishes to take should be discussed in terms of erotic or deep emotional desires instead of identity and the type of relationship one is able to have. I'm discussing a platonic bond between two men. Whether one, both, or neither of these men are homosexual is absolutely fucking irrelevant because this is a platonic love. And while on that note, I have to also state that when a woman and a man befriend each other, it cannot be a bromance. It won't be. A bromance is a deep bond between two men, a masculine attachment that is outside the realm of femininity. A woman cannot understand this relationship because, again, she's not a man. One may accuse me of misogyny or sexism, to which I say, do you expect a man to understand your relationships with, your other, with other women? And on that line of logic, one could also suggest that an effeminate man could not have a bromance with a fellow man, masculine or not. But then again, that seems a bit far-fetched to me, so I'll just, I'll say that I can see points on either side of that statement, and I'll leave this topic for you guys to discuss. In the 19th and early 20th century, the concept of men-only clubs were accepted as a place for men to go and be with their fellow men and social equals. An example of this would be the Union Club, which is nowhere near its heyday of influence and power, but it still exists. After the 1960s, social pressures and cultural attitudes of egalitarianism uh, persuaded, often successfully, clubs to allow women through their doors. The Lodos Club, which can boast Mark Twain, as once a member, is one of these organizations that amended its constitution in 1976. While social clubs, I'm sorry, while social clubs are still around and still hold an air of status to them, the idea of men's spaces have been regulated to the shack or garage that is fought for against every female step of the way. Think of a comedy meme best represent, uh, represented by Al Bundy and Peg Bundy from Married with Children. So, in hunter-gatherer and early agricultural tribes, the labor was divided, and for good reason. And the spaces of the villages 
uh, of the village, sorry, were also divided, but into four areas. A male-only area, a female-only area, and the communal area. But, like I said before, so there's another one, and it's the third gender area. The third gender area was for those who failed to become men or women by the cultural standards of that tribe. And a place was prepared for them. Think of them as people who never reached the status of adult in whatever culture you currently exist in. While aspects of this idea are still around, like the 30-year-old boy, um, the understanding that the genders were different has been lost. I'm not advocating that one gender is objectively and absolutely better than the other. That's a ridiculous notion. I'm stating that a woman is different than a man, and those differences must be appreciated and respected with an understanding that the two members of the same gender will have an emotional rapport with each other that two members of the opposite genders could not. Some would attempt to peg the Boy Scouts of America and the Freemasons as men-only clubs or men's spaces. But let's not forget that both are religious, uh, such as Boy Scouts. No atheists are allowed in that organization. And the former has female leaders. Um, oh, yes, Boy Scouts now have female leaders, which is ridiculous. But, <laughs> oh, it seriously bothered me when I was in the Scouts. I was like, wait, what is she doing here? <laughs> anyway, um, also, I haven't said that, I haven't said that men's clubs no longer exist. What I'm saying is the idea of men's spaces as a mark of disrespect and perpetual boyhood attached, along with the stigma of having a deep emotional bond with another man, which was once considered by Aristotle to be better than the sexual love between a man or a woman. Bromances seem to be in line with the concept of romantic friendships. Romantic friendships are an intense relationship between two people, usually of the same gender, and may be accompanied by physical signs of affection. Uh, in bygone eras, it was perfectly acceptable for men to give each other kisses on the cheek in the West, and this is still considered a high form of respect between, uh, between men places like the Middle East. My uncles on my mother's side were Lebanese, still kissed me twice on each cheek, and when I pulled away from, because, you know, I don't want these fat ugly men to kiss me, they <laughs> shoot me a look like I punched them in the balls and called them a faggot. <laughs> like, how dare you? I'm simply kissing my nephew. Repeatedly. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the relationship between War Brothers, Achilles and Patroclus, or the cousins in the film Troy, featured in the book The Iliad by poet and philosopher Homer, is a good example of cultural misunderstandings and deep emotional bonds between men. Though in modern times and in antiquity, the nature of their relationship has been debated. The revision to their story in order to justify that homosexuality uh, was once acceptable in general by the LGBT party line. Oh, Though in modern times and in antiquity, the nature of their relationship has been debated. The revision to their story in order to justify that homosexuality was once acceptable, is generally accepted by the LGBT party line. 
While it is true that ancient cultures accepted sex between men, the idea that they accepted an exclusive union between men, using Achilles and Patroclus' tale as an example of it, that is not true. The love between men in ancient Greece was considered the highest form of love. Excuse me, but sex had nothing to do with it. While it was acceptable for men to engage in sexual activity, he still had duties to his wife. This pretty picture of two men holding hands in a modern sense and getting married in the pagan temples is false. Achilles and Patroclus had the modern equivalent of a bromance. You have to remember, in Greek and Roman armies, they encouraged their soldiers to fuck each other because you can only fuck... Good God. You can only fight for an idea for so long. When you spend years away from your family and everything that you are fighting for, you're going to forget. The idea was, let's have these men form tight social bonds and let them fuck each other. So you're not battling for something you haven't seen in five years. You're battling for your lover and your best friend. And it works. And they still do it today, except they don't encourage the fucking. I mean, it happens, but they don't encourage it. <laughs> well, at least according to my buddies in the army, it still happens. Anyway. <laughs> or maybe they're just telling me sweet dreams. But uh, Achilles and Patroclus had the modern equivalent of a bromance. Cultural changes, um, cultures change in physical affections of the past associated with uh, friendships are now associated with sex, but physical signs of affection have not completely been negated either. They've just changed. A few thoughts on why they've changed have been presented, revolving around two primary concepts. The feminist movement, movement which is not to be confused with women's suffrage, and homosexuality. In the 19th century photo records, one can find many images of men holding hands, kissing each other on the cheek. These habits seem to have changed into the man hug, so that a heterosexual love for another man or a romantic friendship was not confused for a sexual love or sexual intimacy. Although, I think it is fair to say that the man hug is not a good example of this, because it's led to a fear of having a close emotional rapport with other men, so they are confused as a homosexual. Which means you're only letting a guy in if you can't express the way you feel about a friend or anyone else. Uh, there's, a, there's a problem here. And one is that you care what other people think. So the idea that men that, that men do the man hug because they're emotionally shallow and afraid of being called gay it's been criticized as homophobic, and that is stupid. I'm gay, and I don't want to be confused with a man who is seeking sexual attention from a woman. They don't interest me sexually, and I don't want to elicit attention from them. I want the attention of other faggots. You know, so it's, it's only right. So, because I, it really bothers me. They're like, oh man, why can't you guys really hug? Well, because that kind of hug is now associated with faggotry. I'm not a faggot. I don't want people to think I'm a faggot because it's going to ruin things for me. I want pussy, and I can't get pussy when the girl thinks I'm sucking dick. Unless I'm in a gay bar and I'm purposely just trying to get in her pants, and, you know, I can feed her that bullshit about, oh, I've never been with a woman before, and, oh, but you're so hot. And you know what? You know what? It works. It works. I've seen it done. Stupid, <laughs> stupid bitches. <laughs> oh, anyway, 
masculine behavior does vary from culture to culture. Thankfully, this is an area of research that is up and coming. Anthropologist David Gilmore's book, Manhood in the Making, Cultural Concepts of Masculinity, surveys these standards and asserts that there are common threads. And evolutionary psychology operates on that premise. These cross-cultural standards of masculinity almost always constitute the idea of self-control and discipline, even in the emotions. And this is akin to loyalty and strength. A masculine man would not volunteer his emotions readily. They are fought for and bestowed upon as an honor. The idea of reserved emotions as destructive also sprung out of the feminist movement. Uh, through feminism, women have gained the ability, and rightfully so, to proceed into any area of society that a female individual has the skill, desire, or drive to work towards. But that issue is, the issue here is that the baby has been thrown out with the bathwater. The idea of merit, regardless of one's genes, has evolved into a fear of being labeled a, mis a misogynist or a sexist. While some gender roles, like only women do the dishes, are silly, others are ingrained into our nature and will eventually come back with a vengeance. Think of repressing anger until an uncontrollable fit of rage. The contemporary I'm sorry, the contemporary increasing acceptance of homosexuality is partly evident of my previous statement, which is our nature will out itself. Romances are the resurgence of an old masculine tradition. They are equally important, but do not have the ability, but do not have the ability to understand each other in as great as a manner as a fellow from their own gender. Evolutionary psychology has led the way in demonst uh, demonstrating that there are differences in the gender, that though, so some, that though some social roles are cultural scripts, there are differences in the genders. And those differences must be considered in order to understand one, if not both, of the genders. There are two primary arguments on the differences. This is crucial because everyone admits that there are differences. And the theory proposed by evolutionary psychology paraphrases that the behavior in each sex are not entirely subject to cultural scripts. And supporters of queer theory suggest that any difference in gender, it's completely scripted, it's not biological, and it's 100% pliable. If the proponents of queer theory are correct in that, uh, incorrect that gender or sex is a social script or a cultural construct, then the genders would still relate to members of the same gender more strongly than they would of one of an opposite because of the role, the, the role has still been built into them. It doesn't matter if it's scripted or not. If, I, if I've been raised to behave in A, B, and C fashion, and the other has been raised to do the same, then I will still relate to people who follow my same script. And this is not a way out here, stupid queer theorists. <laughs> Human life is short and a role played for hundreds of, of years cannot be destroyed in a few years or, and I don't think, one human lifetime. And this directly ties into the social patterns of human beings. We are a social group animal. As much as I favor individualism as a philosophy or a principle, I do rely on those I consider my equal or my betters, my loved ones, my comrades. And since there are differences in the sexes and those sexes and genders cannot understand behaviors privy to each of them, it would be difficult for a woman to sympathize with a man on some issues relevant to his masculinity. Again, we are social. We are social animals that tend to exist in groups. Doesn't it stand to reason 
that it is healthy and natural for a man to seek, befriend, and value his relationship with another man, partly because he is another man. When I spoke earlier about romantic friendships and how these relationships for a time were considered greater than a sexual relationship with a woman, Aristotle and Plato wrote about these friendships as the greatest of emotional achievements. And we now refer to this description as the heroic friendship. And that concept's been lost, or at least until very recently. It's an age where men are doing what is in their nature to do. That would be rebel aggressively, and this time it's by being bromantic with this fellow man. And I find it detestable that I've come across numerous articles penned by men telling women to not be threatened by a man seeking out his bros for advice or camaraderie. And I've also found articles by women telling men to grow up and learn to be friends with a woman. I don't learn how to be a man from a woman. And how, you, you just, you can't do it. Men need men to revel in their masculinity. And whether this is erotic or platonic, it's up to the nature of those men. Men have experiences that women do not understand and could not understand. And the same is true on the other side. You could say that about races or sexualities. There are differences that must be appreciated. So again, men need men to revel in their masculinity. And whether this is erotic or platonic is up to the nature of each of those men. Bromance is nothing more than brotherhood. So until next time, keep your skirts up, your pants down. No matter who bends over, make sure he has a penis. <laughs> what? Oh, I think he will. <laughs> Every time. Wow, that, Adam, what are you doing? <laughs> I have to say that this this particular episode really hits home for me. I have very, very this is sound kind of depressing, but I, I don't mean it to be. Very few really good friends. And and I judge my friendship on whether or not I'm willing to give that person a hug or not, that man a hug or not. And if you're a man and I hug you, that means that I see you as an equal and I respect you and I love you on a on a bromance, as you call it, and as a manliness level, as I like to refer to it. But there is something to be said. Like, there's no possible fucking way that any women can possibly understand the complexity of a relationship between a man who experiences life in in the same sexual and this crosses racial barriers. I've I've known Dominican men, I've known <laughs> just just in general black men um, from Chattown. <laughs> what what? <laughs> who who are far removed from my life experience, but who I connect with so deeply. Uh, men from the South who I would never be expected to have sat down willingly and had a dinner with, but who I embrace the opportunity to because they're men of, of action, of experience, men who I've connected with that I, I, I don't know how to say. I mean, this is the sole reason why I do that, that sort of annual man camp, as I call it, is to celebrate what we, the people I, that obviously are around me that I care about, that um, 
we share one thing in common, that's masculinity. We have different life experience. We have uh, different lives, but we connect with each other on this primal scale. There is something to be said about knowing a man far beyond sexuality and um, social norms. And for, for, for men who shy away or do the, the bro hug that's like a quick tap tap and they're out, yeah. you're fucking pussies. Like there's, there's nothing shameful about doing a two count <laughs> as you're hugging someone that you genuinely care about. Like that's what – and I can only relate it to my own life experience I, in the military – there are men that I would do anything for that I have no, I don't mind getting naked around them. I don't mind even kissing them on the cheek. It has nothing to do with a, a sexuality. It has everything to do with, with a manly connection that there's no way I could possibly explain it to a woman. And it probably seems so alien and, and even probably homosexual to some women. But I don't see it that way. I think men... And maybe maybe you can help me because you kind of have the best of both worlds here. I think there's an avenue of... <laughs> I don't mean that bad. There's an avenue of manliness that transcends sexuality. And I, th I think that's kind of what you're speaking to here. Yeah, it's, it's very simple. It's platonic love. That's yeah. all it is. It's, it's like the love I have for my little brother or the love I have for Darren. It's platonic. Um, it's a well. My brother is my brother, but when I say bromance or a brotherhood, I mean it in the sense that I have with my male friends, where there is no sexual relationship with. Mm -hmm. So, my good friend Alejandro, um, back in Michigan, I love him dearly. He's like a brother. Um, I love. The same with Darren. I've known Darren for years. I love him like a brother. This is a bromance and it's strictly platonic. And it's rich and deep and it's emotional. But it's masculine. It, it's still... I, it's, I still fart on him. I mean, it's manly. It's manly. <laughs> you know, like, you know, hey, Darren, come here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, you know, I hug my friends and I do a little bit more than the bro thing, but it depends. You know, usually if I, if I don't feel comfortable giving you a real hug, if I look at you and, you know, I don't know, it, there, there's always situations that call for like a good long hug, you know? Yeah. And... Then there's situations where the two tap works. You know, when I hug Darren on my way out of his apartment, it's you know two taps and it's done. When it, when a tragedy struck, it was like, come here, man, hug it out. Hmm. Um, but this, it's, it never struck me as gay. As a gay man, it never struck me as gay. There was nothing gay about it. It's it's someone that you love. That's really what it is. At the end of the day. I think a lot of it comes from insecurity, sexual insecurity and fear, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think masculinity transcends sexuality. And I, I do not think the two should be, should be confused or mixed. And it may not make sense to some 
people. Uh, and they're all faggots. <laughs> <laughs> it may not make sense to you faggots, whether you're men or women, but because uh, <laughs> I, I do think there's some women faggots out there. But um, no, it, it totally transcends, and it, I think it's an integral part of what it means to be a man. I mean, to, to, to put a fine point on it, we often, you know, socially, culturally, we define what it is to be a man. But I think there's something genetically that's Hello. beneath that layer that says it's okay. And I, I don't know. I mean, maybe even transcend sexuality, whether you're a man or a woman. But there are connections with people that you share that it doesn't fucking matter if they're the same or opposite sex. You just want to connect with them, and not in a sexual way, but in a life experience, in a shared experience, in a respect, in an admiration level, that that doesn't fucking matter. Like, I just want to to share what it is to be you with. And I, I, I personally have that experience with both men and women. And not exclusively to my wife and and so i totally understand i i dig that i think that's a really wonderful episode man well i wrote it because i started seeing these articles of a women criticizing men who did things like a man camp or they're like honey you got the kids this weekend because me and my guys were, were going out why no 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 men only or <laughs> or a lot of there's a lot of articles coming out about men's spaces where men are moving out of the garage and when the, when they uh, start living with their girlfriend or getting married, they're like, "All right, I need one room of that house that you yeah. cannot step a single foot in. I don't care how bad it smells; you can't go in. It's, <laughs> it's for me and my men. It's the he-man woman haters club. Yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. and I love that idea because it's I I think it's incredibly important for each of the genders to have a space where, like my mother with her girls lunch, no men are allowed. At one time, my dad went to go pick up my mother and he's like, I'm never going there again, you have to go. <laughs> it's like, those women are fucking crazy. <laughs> and um, it's like when, you know, when a girl hangs out with a bunch of guys, she'll look around, or most girls, not all, but most girls will look around and go, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Yeah, they're all fucking nuts and there's a reason for that it's our time and I, I, it really pissed me off that these articles were being the women were criticizing men you know grow up get married and have a woman as a best friend I'm like what <laughs> why yeah it's it's hard it, it's sort of one of those dreams where I get married and my man becomes my best friend and we share secrets and we eat ice cream under a comforter together and it's so wonderful but there's nothing manly about that scenario nothing and once you start to 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 combine femininity with masculinity i'm not talking about socially but genetically they are dramatically different and there are genetic differences that are there and and whether or not they're needed anymore is irrelevant because we do need them we like we genuinely need them women need women time men need men time and you have to respect that and if you try to try to bring them together you are only going against our our hum, shared human biological history and and you can't win you just cannot win nope i don't know. i love it 
I'm glad you brought it up, man. Thank you so much for that episode. As always, it's very wonderful. And it's no wonder why we have so many listeners chiming in. I want a militant eroticism. Where the fuck has it end been? Because, uh, goddamn, it's good, man. Every you, goddamn time. What are you talking about? I did a recording last month. I just didn't co-host. <laughs> You're right, and but in, and I do want to, I do want to say there is a difference because getting a taste of of your delivery and then experiencing you through a whole episode, they're two different things. And I think, well, I know that the fans love it, and I know I love being able to have that full experience with you. So every time you come on for a full episode, I truly do enjoy it. That was you, you're flirting with me. I want Again? the whole experience. <laughs> I'm doing the two second hug with you next time I see you. <laughs> the oh, two count. Oh. I'm going to hold and squeeze. <laughs> oh, God. Ball slapping goodness. Yeah. Ball slapping and ass grabbing two pounds. <laughs> you know what? That's okay. a porno. I'm, I'm copywriting that title right there. Watch, next right, time I see you, I'm going to push your wife out of the way and be like, come here. Shoo! This is man time. Ah! <laughs> That'd be great. All right, well, on that note, that's going to do it for another show. <laughs> I hope we enjoyed it. I hope, I hope we enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it you together go. with us in a manly way. And if you're a woman, in a womanly, manly understanding <laughs> way. Yeah. Anyway, we'd love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send you correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. I'm remiss here. Aden, where can people find you online? On Militant Eroticism's Facebook. Just go up to that fancy little search box and type in. It's great. Or it's linked on the, on the, the page on 9 Cents. To the audience, remember, you can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Mondays via the RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. And remember that you can subscribe to 9 cents via iTunes by searching 9 cents. And don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. And remember, if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And the only way that we're going to continue producing this show is if you share it in some way. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your grandmother. Let's build this podcast together, people. Help spread the word. And once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by Lucy. Lucy. And until next week, hail Satan! Hail Satan!